appreciate that. We're going to do a little something different today. We'll be in Philippians, if you'll turn there, Philippians chapter 3, and uh, we'll be jumping all over the place. I'll be back in uh, Exodus. We'll look at the first plague next week, uh, the, the uh, water and the blood, and um, you know that the great plagues, we'll do exposition next week. Tonight, we're doing something a little different. I've entitled this First Things First, First Things First, excuse me. Uh, signs that you ate too much between Thanksgiving and New Year's. The doctor tells you your weight would be perfect for a person 12 feet tall. You're responsible for a slight but measurable shift in the Earth's axis. Paramedics were called to the house to pry you out of your recliner. The amount of potatoes you used set off another famine in India. You received a sumo wrestler application in your email. You set off three earthquake seismographs on your morning jog. You pricked your finger to check your blood sugar, and out came gravy. The rash on your stomach turns out to be a steering wheel burn. And your wife wears a life jacket at night in the waterbed. Uh, one of them got a laugh, but... Uh, we're looking at Philippians today, and, and just a brief mention of the, the great book of Philippians. Paul, remember, went there on a second missionary journey, and Lydia came to know the Lord. And then remember that demon-possessed little girl followed him, sort of annoying him, and her masters were mad because uh, he ministered to her, and of course, they thought they'd lose money, and so he was cast into prison and jail and uh, mistreated there and the great conversion experience of the jailer remember when the earthquake hit and the chains are released and he says to the guy it's okay we're all here and he and his household all come to know the lord then paul gets out and goes to meet with lydia great experience um great story there in acts chapter 16. now he writes years later from a roman prison you'd probably remember that experience in jail and he's writing one of these prison epistles. Uh, Philippi is named after Alexander the Great's father, Philip, and a, a prominent city in that day. And so we're going to look at a few verses here in Philippians chapter 3. If you find those, let's stand. You know what I love about God? I love that God can be forgetful. Amen. You say God's forgetful? He is. He forgets our past mistakes. We need to do that, don't we? And so we're going to try and forget all the things that happened last year. All of you this morning have been through trials. You've carried a cross. You understand what I'm talking about. And we all experience hardship in our Christian walk. But thank God, you know, we have a fresh start with Jesus. And now we have a new year. Philippians chapter uh, 3, verses 13 and 14, verses you probably know by heart. Philippians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14 says this, Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forgetting those things which are behind and pressing towards the mark. I love what Paul says in Hebrews he said, keep your eyes on Jesus when you're running the race. 
And what is that word race? Agon, agonizing. It's not easy. Kermit the Frog used to say, it's not easy being green. It's not easy being a Christian in this world. We have these trials and tribulations. God bless us as we take a look in the book for a walk in the world that we'll glean something, Lord, that's helpful to us. As we start a new year, we thank you for the first day of the year and the first day of the week, both today. Bless us now. Hide me behind the cross. And God, speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You started the new year well. You're here on the first day of the new year. I didn't know how many we'd have. We had Christmas last week. Only 65 showed up, but I thought that was a great crowd, and we had a great time. We met in the fellowship hall, and it was almost a packed capacity, and I thought, well, that was a blessing. And today it's a blessing that you're here to worship the Lord, and now we worship in the Word. But our, our New Year is based upon a Roman calendar. We have 365 days, and sometimes we have that extra day in February, and it all works out. But the Jews had a different calendar. The Roman calendar began 46 years after the death of Christ. But the Jews had a different calendar, and their New Year this year, they always go by the moons. They don't just have months and days. They, they do everything according to the moons. And this year, their New Year will start September 15th. And that's, that's their great uh, time of celebration. It's called Rosh Hashanah. And that means the head of the new year. And the, uh, the, in the Torah, it's called Yom Torah, which means the blowing of the shofar. Now, the shofar is a ram's horn. And boy, they could really blow those things and make some noise. And that's how they announced the new year. They'd have a lighting of candles. And they really celebrated the new year for two reasons. Number one, to remember creation. And number two, they, they celebrated to remember creation, and they celebrated the new year to remember the first human beings, Adam and Eve. Our new year is nothing but secular. I mean, I'm sure last night millions upon millions of people worldwide were drunk. Maybe billions. I don't know. And it's turned into just a, a drunken fest, and that's what it's all about. Uh, with me, I always look forward to New Year just to watch football games and eat. Uh, those are good things. But New Year in our culture is a little different than theirs. Theirs was really their first high holy day. Their second high holy day, you know, is Yom Kippur, or we know it as the Day of Atonement. Actually, originally, the Day of Atonement was their start of their New Year called Abib. It was different uh, under the law, different than it is today, and they celebrate it differently. And we know that uh, that, that the Day of Atonement is one great thing. And then if you go back to Exodus 2, the month of Nisan, you find the significance of Passover. That was their, uh, that was their uh, big day as well, and, and that was their second high holy day of the year. And we know that the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 5, 7, Christ is our Passover. He's our lamb. We feast on him. We remember him at the Lord's Supper that he shed his body and blood. And so we look at it from a little different perspective than they did because they didn't believe Jesus was the Passover and they don't believe he's the lamb. <clears throat> They're looking for his first coming, which, of course, to us will be his second coming. And we know that I love the great verse in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. It says here, and I'll, I'll, I'll read this from my notes already. It says, therefore, if any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. Behold, old things are passed away. And all things have become new. Our newness began with him. Our newness began with him. And I'm so thankful that he is 
my Passover. All good things begin with him. If you don't know the Lord today, it all starts with a relationship with him. And he is the reason for the season, as we always hear during Christmas, but he's the reason to live right every day. He's the reason for everything I live for. He, he, he's connected to my life in so many ways. I don't know what I'd do without him. I would surely be lost in more ways than one. I wouldn't have the direction. He leadeth me. He leadeth me by his own hand. He leadeth me. I love that. And he's just helped me throughout life. But the word new is found 150 times in your Bible and 131 different verses. Think of all these new things. Hebrews talks about a New Testament. I'm so thankful that we have a New Testament. You know, we can read about, and I'm talking about practically our, our Bible, we can read about the apostles and the Lord Jesus and the starting of the church and all those great things, the church epistles from Romans on, the history of Christ's life, the acts of the apostles bridging those two dispensations. What great reading we have because we have a New Testament. He was also talks about a new covenant, and we thank God that we're no longer under the law. We've never been under the law because we were born after it was disannulled, but the handwritten ordinance is nailed to the cross. And I'm thankful I'm not under those ordinances anymore. And then the, uh, Hebrews chapter 8, verse 13 says we have a new way. And that's really talking about the way into the most holy place, a way through the veil because it was rent. And now we can go into the presence of God because of what Jesus did on Calvary. And I'm so thankful that we have a new way. I love Romans 14, 6, where Jesus says, I am the way. I am the way. He says, in John, I'm the door, the great I am's of the Lord Jesus that makes it possible for us to enter into the presence of a holy God. Amen. Mark speaks of a new doctrine. You know, they'd gone into the synagogue and they'd preached, and Jesus, of course, then finds a man. A man approaches him. He's, he's possessed by a demon. They're in the synagogue. All the Jews are watching. And Jesus cast the spirit out. And they said, this is a new doctrine, someone who can actually control the spirits. Yes, he's in control of everything, including our world, including our country, including our city. Do you trust him today? He's a sovereign God. He's in control. And he was in control way back in the synagogue, and he's in control today. He's in control of the circumstances of your life. We don't live by luck and chance. We live by faith that God is sovereign and controlling all the aspects of our life. Sometimes I wonder, God, do you know what you're doing? Yes, he does. I often don't, but he always does. And then we we're told in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 15, that we are a new man. It says here, having abolished the enmity, the law of the commandments, he made a, a, a new man. And then 424, and that you put on the new man. The new man. The old man needs to be put off. Old Dan's not any good. New Dan's wonderful. Why? Because new Dan's my inner man the Lord Jesus in my life. But my old flesh is rotten. And then I love uh, Revelation chapter uh, 2 and verse 17 where it says, He hath given us a new name. I love that little song. There's a new name written down in glory. I can't sing. Oh, yes, it's mine. Or however it goes. But that's a great song. And, and I have a new name. 
I'm a child of God. Do you know God never refers to me by sinful titles? If I tell a lie, he doesn't call me a liar. I'm a child of God that's lied. If I think a bad thought, he doesn't call me a a whoremonger or whatever. He doesn't call me those old names. Why? I'm a child of God. I'm a saint. Now, you look at me and you don't see my sainthood, but he does because of the blood of Jesus Christ. You say, well, you are a saint or a saint Bernard. I understand that. But I'm a saint because of what he's done, not because of what I've done. I'm a child of God. And the Bible says I'm a priest with God. I can go into the presence of God because Jesus made the way. And so I'm so thankful about that new song also mentioned in Revelation 14, 3. Then we have a new commandment, John 13, 2 John 5. Several times we're told to love one another. To love one another. Listen to Charles Stanley today, and he's talking about loving one another. Sacrificial love. It's so hard to really love. And we say it a lot of times we don't really mean it. We say, I love you. Would we really sacrifice for that person? A lot of lovey-dovey stuff until you disagree. Then all of a sudden it's hate, you know. Uh, we, we have to be careful. And, and, you know, it's an action word. We, we have to really work hard at loving people. The world will know we're Christians by our loves, what the little song says, and the Bible backs that up. You know what kind of person you are by how you treat other people. And I could tell you time after time where I failed. There's two times I've done the right thing, but sometimes I do the wrong thing. Don't love people like I should. And all of us need to examine our hearts because this new year will we'll have plenty of opportunities to love and to minister to people. And so we need to realize that we are told this new commandment is to love one another. And then we look at John chapter 12 says he'll make all things new. And that's actually Revelation 21.5. He'll make all things new. One day everything's going to be changed and made new. I love that. I love the fact that I'll have a new body when I come out of the ground. Don't you get sick of the old body? When I was a young guy, oh, I thought, boy, I had a good body. Now I look down and say, ugh. You know, it's amazing how our body deteriorates. It just waxes old and old and starts to break down. Things don't work like they used to. You can't think like you used to. And to the younger generation that's here, one day you're going to be old. I remember my grandfather at 62 retired from a, in Muskegon, Michigan from a, a factory. And he came over after his retirement and spent the day with us. And I looked at him in my living room and said, boy, Grandpa's old. Look at how old he is. And now I'm older than Grandpa was at that time. I look in the mirror. I say, Dad, if that's you, you know, we're going to have a new body. We're going to have a new creation. Thank God for that. I love where it says in Revelation there'll be a new heaven and a new earth. Twice it says that in Revelation 21, and 2 Peter says the same thing. Peter describes the old as being burnt up. Now, scholars debate back and forth. We look at the Greek words and we compare and we debate. Does that mean the whole earth is going to be dissolved, 
or just the surface burn up. And I'll just tell you, I'm one of those guys that says to you quite often, I don't know. There's a couple of opinions out there. But we're going to have a new earth. And we're going to have a new Jerusalem that comes down and rests on the earth. Think of that. After that millennial reign, all of a sudden, this beautiful thing described in Revelation will come down. It's described in measurements that let us know it's two-thirds the size of America and 12 stories high. One scholar writes about it and says, the new Jerusalem will have enough space for everyone to have a square mile all to themselves, and that's if we trust everyone who's ever said they're a believer is really a believer. And exaggerate that. They say there's just no way uh, it's going to be less than an acre. We're just going to have all kinds of space. But we won't need that space because we'll all get along, <laughs> you know. You know, if, if, you're, if you're on a trip, you're with some friends, and you don't like one of the guys, and you're all crammed in a hotel room, you think, boy, I wish this was a bigger room. If you live with a contentious woman, you wish the house was bigger. Or a contentious man, right? We'll have plenty of room in heaven, and we won't even need it. But the description of that new Jerusalem is just unbelievable. And the old Jerusalem is a wonderful place. If you ever get there, you'll, you'll like it. But the new is going to be unbelievable. We can't really describe it in our terms, but there's going to be a new Jerusalem, a new heaven and a new earth. So we've talked about newness at the start of this new year. Think about your own life for a few moments. Have you been made new, first of all? That's the question. Have you been made new? Are you truly a born-again child of God? Bryce quoted a scripture referring to fruit and works. You know, when we say we're a Christian, people should know we're a Christian by the way we live our lives. There should be fruit. should be fruit. Not works, but fruit. Fruit is a natural result of a spirit-filled man. You just do things sometimes without even realizing it, wow, I did something really nice, what was I thinking? Well, God works in and through us, and he makes us think good thoughts. And when you have an idea to help someone, that's not the enemy saying go help that family. That's the Lord. He is the one who leads us and allows us to be fruit-bearing Christians. But most of us this year, uh, most of us here today, I would say profess Christ as Savior. So here's what we need to think about. We need to start this year with forgiveness. First of all, forgiveness from God. If you're lost, he will forgive you if you call unto him. But also forgiveness for others. Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 talks about we all have a ministry of reconciliation. I mentioned that probably a year ago. Are you ministering by reconciling people? First of all, People need to be reconciled to God. And that's through the blood of Jesus Christ. But what about your ministry of reconciling people to God and your ministry of reconciling people to one another? I heard a story this morning. On, again, I was listening to different preachers, and one of them was talking about how this, uh, this, this fellow became a Christian uh, because his, his, his parents were killed in an automobile accident. And they caused them to come to Christ. And they brought to church the first Sunday after becoming Christians the guy who had run over and killed their family. 
and introduced him to the pastor. And the pastor's kind of like, wow, that takes a great amount of grace. And all of us, you know, stories, haven't we, where someone goes to jail and forgives someone who murdered their parents. That's a wonderful thing. Because forgiveness really doesn't just release the offender, it releases you. Um, I was talking this morning in my office about over the years, I'd seen my dad struggle with some bitterness. My dad's a good man, a deacon, don't get me wrong. I hate to use my parents as a bad example because I had wonderful Christian parents, but my dad had some bitterness because in his childhood, he felt his dad neglected him. His dad died of cancer at 56, so did his mom. My dad had to sell everything in the secondhand store, take care of his sisters, and he didn't get any appreciation. He never got a pat on the back. He had to quit school in second grade to, to, to help around the house, and a lot of things happened to my dad that caused him to be bitter. He was a great baseball player. He played for the Muskegon Mud Hens, which today I think are Toledo Mud Hens, but I can't even find a record of it, but he was on the team. And uh, his buddy was drafted by the White Sox, and my dad uh, went to war. He was drafted by the military. And so he was bitter about his, his upbringing. He was bitter about the fact that he missed his chance to play professional baseball. He was the third or fourth hitter on the team. And, and he just always felt like everything was bad for him. He said, my two brothers are millionaires, and I got... It's the way he acted. And my loving mom would say to him, now, Bob, you have seven wonderful children. We were all professing believers. I was the middle child. Uh, we won't say much more there, but that probably caused my dad to think, it's not all as great as it seems having seven children. But, you know, uh, he, he had a bitterness to battle. And um, when, I, when the Lord called me into ministry, and I began to talk to my dad, I would talk to him about his bitterness. I'd say, you're bitter at Randy because he, he wanted Randy to play baseball. Randy wouldn't. Randy ended up doing some things in business my dad didn't like, and so they had a broken relationship. And I would just talk to my dad all the time. There it is again, Dad. There it is again. That's bitterness, Dad. Dad, you got to work on that. And my mom appreciated it, but I didn't do it in front of people, but I tried to help my dad through that because I could see it clearly in his life. Late in life, he went over to my brother Randy's house and knocked on the door, and Randy said, Dan, you wouldn't believe it. He knocked on the door, opened the door, and his voice was shaking and shivering as he said, Randy, will you forgive me for my anger as I punished you so often in anger? And they became great fishing buddies. And life, the last several years, my dad had Lou Gehrig's disease and died at 70, but life got sweeter with Randy. He reconciled with another person in his life who I won't mention, and my dad's life completely changed. Do you know why? He forgave. He forgave his dad. He forgave God, he felt, who took baseball away. He forgave my brother, who didn't really do anything that bad. He forgave one of his siblings, who he had, had a broken relationship with. And by forgiving others, my dad was released. See, what happens to you when you don't forgive is you become bitter. Lord, don't call me pleasant anymore. I'm stuck with Ruth, and my kids and my husband died, and I'm poor. Call me, call me uh, bitter. Call me Mara. That's what Naomi said. And so when you don't forgive others, you're the person who's strapped 
They may not even know how you feel. Now, my, my brother did, but, but many times, I pastored a church one time. I had an elderly lady in the church who said to me, my son and I hadn't spoken in 20 years, and it's not my fault. And I said, as sweet as I could, you have to take responsibility. You're the mother. Now, I didn't do anything to him. He's mad about this and that, and there's no cause to be mad. And I said, you have to consider his feelings, and you need to reach out to him. I'm not saying anything to him. I'm not. It's his fault. He needs to come back to me. Let me just say this to you. The big Christian is the one that says they're sorry. Get this. The big Christian, the godly one, the humble one says, I am sorry I did this wrong. The small Christian says, they owe me an apology. I'm not apologizing to them. That tells everybody around you the problem's right here. You heard my stupid Lindberger cheese joke, right? The guy that had a little Lindberger cheese, he smelled something rotten, and he, he, went out, he, he went in another room and said, this room stinks, and this room stinks, and finally he went outside, so the whole world stinks. The problem is he had a little Lindberger cheese under his mustache. The problem's right under your nose. You're the problem. And if you don't forgive others, you say, well, look, you don't know what they did. You can forgive. God forgave you. You are a spiritual adulterer, the Bible says. You loved your worldly things, your idols. And when you love other things, you're cheating on God. And so you are broken with God when, when you don't make things right with God. We crawl to God, and we need to learn to crawl to other people if necessary. Go to those you've had conflict with. Be the bigger person. Say, I want to ask you to forgive me. Even if you can't remember what you did, even if they've made a mountain out of a molehill, you say, I want to apologize to you for the wrong I did. And you know what happens? You put all the responsibility on their shoulders to make a choice. They may not make it then, but they'll have to live with that. And if they don't forgive you, they'll be in bitterness, and it's going to get worse. But you don't have to be bitter, and you don't have to let people be bitter at you. You can go to them, reach out to them, and reconcile. Reconcile. It's a new year. It's time to call the son or the daughter it's time to call the coworker who you don't get along with. It's time for you to be the big person instead of the little person. I am not saying that you have to go back and have a great relationship with that person. That may not be possible. You know, I, I've, I've had people over the time, I've I got to be careful in how I say it, but people who were molested when they were young, not here, but in other churches, and they, they, they have such a hard time with the person who molested them. And they say, Pastor, how can I forgive them? Ask God to give you grace. I'm not saying you can go back into the life of that person. But God can give you the grace to forgive them. Because God forgave you. And you know in your mind, 
your heart is desperately wicked, your mind has been reprobate, all the thoughts you have, all the challenges you have to live right, you know that you are just a sinner that's been saved by grace. You may be a saint, but you know you still carry that old wretched body with you. It's time to forgive others because if you don't, if you're the one who's been hurt and you don't forgive others, you're carrying a weight on you, on your back, that's hindering your, your relationship, hindering your race, and you need to lay aside every sin and every weight, every overload in your life. And it's hard to do that. Mend relationships. That will require humility. I love uh, the Christmas story. I didn't mention this in my message, but you think about the humility in the Christmas story. Mary was humble. <clears throat> she had to accept the fact that her body is going to carry a child. She has to accept the fact that she's going to maybe have a bad name in the community, bad reputation. And the Jewish law would be to stone her, so she puts her life at risk to say yes to God. And then the shepherds, the, the lowest class of people were the shepherds. Going back to Egypt, they hated shepherds. And remember, uh, you know, uh, Joseph said, tell dad and the brothers not to announce that they're shepherds because they're looked down upon here. Shepherds were looked down upon even in Israel. But who does God send the angel to to appear and say, there's a child born. Rejoice and praise God to the lowly. God doesn't fool with the proud. He ministers to the lowly. And then Jesus was meek and lowly. I want you to turn to our final verse, and I know we didn't do it in much uh, exposition, but I want you to turn to chapter 2 and verses 3 through 7. One of my favorite passages of the Bible. I've not preached that here. I preach from every book of the Bible, but never have preached this here. But you've got to see this. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 to 7. I love this. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory. Verse 4, look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others, the situations of others. And then verse 6, who talking about our Lord, who being in the form, the word morph, of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But look what it says here. But made himself of no reputation. That's a Greek word, kenosis, meaning to empty oneself. He emptied himself. He could have called 10,000 angels, but no, he obeyed God. He chooses to not know when he's coming back. He says only the Father in heaven knows. It's an interesting concept, and there's a lot of great things written on this empty. He emptied himself. He thought it not Robert to be equal with God, but made himself. He emptied himself. And it says, took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found fashioned as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. I love the fact that our Lord is meek and lowly. I want to be like him. I've got to think and I've got to pray and I've got to make sure there's not anyone I've hurt. And I've, I've prayed this before. Lord, when I was a young guy, I was kind of rough. I don't know if I want to go to my 50th because it might be a fight. <laughs> Can you speak to hearts and let them know I'm a pastor and I'm not coming back to town to get even and pray they don't? Nothing probably uglier than two old people fighting. 
And I'm a pastor, I can't be a brawler anyway. I'm just going to have to take one in the kisser, I guess, as my dad used to say, the nose or the cheek or whatever. But my point is this. If there's someone I've hurt along the way, I hope they reach out and let me know. I will not excuse my behavior. If I'm any kind of man of God, I'll say, will you forgive me? I want you to know I was wrong. Even if in my mind I say they were 99% wrong, I'm still wrong for my part in that. And so I hope that someone comes to me in my past and says, back then, maybe when I was a pastor, years ago I was preaching in North Carolina. Several families that were saved in our church were members of that church. So I went there to preach, and uh, one guy came up and said, do you remember me? I said, no. He said, I was on a motorcycle, came by your church. I was in the parking lot. You told me about the Lord, and I got saved. Well, that was great. But another guy said, I was one of your church members, and I had my appendix out, and you didn't come to the hospital and see me. I thought, you're a Green Beret. And the hospital's an hour away. What is going on here? But all I could do is what? Say, I'm sorry. As a pastor, I, I should have come to see you. Now, my thoughts were, Green Beret, you're not very tough. That's my old nature. But I wanted to be like Jesus. Jesus never sinned, by the way, but I do. And I wanted to be meek and lowly like Jesus, and I said, please forgive me. And if there's others I've heard, I hope I find out so I can make it right, you know. And I shouldn't wish to find out, but I want to finish my course the Bible said, if your ways please the Lord, even your enemies will be at peace with you. I want to finish well. I want to finish well. I don't want an enemy. Whether I caused it or they caused it, I don't want that. Because I've failed enough in life. I want to finish well. I hope that you have spiritual New Year's resolutions. I don't care about your diet. Those usually end. The mirror will tell you they end. I want to talk about making sure your heart is right with God by the way you treat other people. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. Lord, I know I've failed you many times, and boy, you've picked me up, and you've forgiven me, and you've brushed me off and cleaned me up and put me back in service, and I don't know why. I do know scripturally because you're a gracious, merciful God but I don't understand how you've ever put up with me. But Lord, I know that we certainly have people here who have had challenges in forgiving, maybe had a hard time with someone, a coworker, a neighbor, I don't know. But if there's anyone who needs to make the things right in their heart that they do this morning or on the way home, that they do the right thing. Bless us and thank you for being here with us on this New Year's Day in Jesus' name.